Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tonight only on Disney Plus. If you want to listen to this episode or any of our episodes ad free, you can do that now. Head on over to Patreon, click on the ad free level. You get all of our bonus shows that you've been hearing so much about. Plus, every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you can listen to this episode or any of our other episodes at the same time, ad free over on Patreon. everyone this is david welcome back behind the velvet rope let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one the only miss charlene tilted hi my sweet david hi everybody how are you charlene i mean i am so excited we're chatting we've been planning this for a while welcome welcome behind the velvet rope well, thank you for having me behind the velvet rope i mean i guess i have all access backstage right <laughs> Of course. Now, how are you doing today? What's going on today in the world that you are in? Um, I'm doing great. Thank you. Um, I will be babysitting my little grandson afterwards, but. (laughs) That is nice. Now you are in, you're in Tennessee, right? I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. Yes. And you're a California girl born and raised. Born and raised and went to Hollywood high school and um, but I, I, I've lived in Nashville now for five years. My daughter got a record deal and that brought us out here. And I love Nashville. I love living here. You do. You love Nashville and you love being a grandmother, I'm sure. The best, the best, the best. So, and, but you know, I've, I've been able to work being here as well. I uh, recently did a Hallmark Christmas movie and last year I did a couple of Christmas movies and So I'm able to work, which is great. You got to listen. I love a Hallmark Christmas movie. Oh, they're the best. I know. They're so much fun. They're so (laughs) much fun. And there's like you, you, you watch them and you're like, oh my God, all your favorites are in the Hallmark Christmas movies. You don't even realize they're coming. So that's good that you're, was it always for, was it always acting for you growing up? Like, did you always know you wanted to be an actress? Literally from the time I was honestly about two years old I just I remember it so well I really Really? do yeah I do and I was obsessed with it and um, we had a little black and white uh, 
19 inch or 17 inch, whatever, Zenith television, you know, with the rabbit ear, you're too young, the, the little antenna that stuck up and you'd have to hit it to get reception. And, and, and um, I just remember, um, I remember the year that Barbara Streisand won the Oscar for Funny Girl. She tied with Katherine Hepburn. And I just remember, to me, that was just the most amazing thing to see all these talented people that I loved so much. And yeah, I've been obsessed with it. Wow. And your first film was Freaky Friday with Jodie Foster. Yes, it was. And it was... That was, an, I was in high school, I was 15 years old. And um, on the audition, my character had to wa- be able to water ski along with Jodie Foster. We were gonna be water skiing together. And they said, can you water ski? And I said, can I water ski? Can I water? Of course I can water ski. I've won awards for water skiing. Of course, I never even saw a water ski in my life. And I totally lied and I get the part. And the day, and now of course Jodie Foster is a big star, so they had given her lessons and all this. So we, the day we get on to to film that scene where, so Jodie's right next to me. I'm supposed to be water skiing, and we're on the dock, and we're holding onto the ropes. She's holding onto hers, and I'm holding on, and it's the same boat pulling us. And I literally prayed one of those prayers that she's, dear God. I promise I'll never do anything wrong in my life again, ever, 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 if you just let me stand up on these skis. So the boat took off. Jody and I both went underwater. We've, we, we, I take two, we get up there and I said, please, God, please let me be able to stand up. The boat took off. I don't know how, I don't know why. I water skied. I was able to stand up and they did the whole thing. And here I am water skiing next to Jody who had had all these lessons and I'm water skiing. to this day, I don't know how or why, because I am as athletic as a toilet paper roll. I can't run. I can't jump. I can't do anything. I'm like, maybe it was just like divine intervention that, you know, it was supposed to work out and like you're next to Jodie Foster. So do you have any memories of like Jodie Foster? It was just like that scene. And then, you know, I know how it is. Like she's kind of whisked off. No, we worked through the whole movie and Um, My memories of her, because um, I was 15 and she was 13 and we had to have school on the set. And I remember Jody was taking geometry in French. She was so brilliant. She was so smart. And um, just, she was just such a nice, normal kid. And just love to have fun and we would make up these stupid songs uh, to this day I remember one of these things I don't know why or what it, I, I don't know it was like boogers coming out of our nose or something and she says so we made up the song it was the green thing it was the green thing it was the green thing coming out of our nose or something it was like so we were so just kids and yet she's this brilliant actress and intelligent human being but she was so nice. So, yeah. If you ever run into, do you ever run into her like at any point in the past many years? I, I ran into her at a film expo. It, said, it was like a, a film exposition they used to have in Los Angeles. It was like a three-day thing. You would sit in the theater for three days 
and you would sleep at the movies you didn't want to see. Anyway, I ran into her there. I had already been on Dallas and she remembered me. But I mean, that's been a hundred years. She probably would have no idea who I am right now, but yeah. She was amazing well, in every sense of the word. Lovely, nice, kind. And her mother was amazing as well, being on the set. Her mother was really nice. Wow. Well, then your audition for Dallas came pretty quickly thereafter. How did, how did that audition come? Like, did you tell me about the audition process for Dallas? Well, um, there was a magazine called Drama Log. It's called Backstage West now. And I mean, and you know, the actors back then you would read it and it was like 25 cents. And if I didn't have, if I couldn't afford the 25 cents, I would just go and read it in the, you know, at the 7-Eleven or at the grocery store. And, um, I read that they were casting Dallas and I read the list of characters, J.R. Ewing, Bobby Ewing, whatever, and blah, blah, blah. And then they get down and I read Lucy Ewing. It said, um, her, she's a manipulative little sex pot born with a silver spoon. Her parents left her to be raised by her grandparents at this very wealthy ranch. And I went, oh, I understand. This is my part. This is my part. I just knew it. And um, Barbara Miller was the casting director. Um, sadly, she has passed away. She ended up casting Friends and she was amazing. And she had already cast me in Eight is Enough and Code Red and some other shows. So my agent tried to get an audition. She kept saying she's she doesn't have enough experience. Charlene is too too young, she's not right. So every day for like two weeks, I would sneak onto the Warner Brothers lot. And you know, if a truck was driving by, I'd run alongside, I'd sneak in and I'd go to her office. And I'd say, please, please let me read. Just give me the chance to read. So um, don't try sneaking into a lot. Anybody knows because you, you won't make it on. Your security is like so tight. But um, finally, after two weeks, they said, come back tomorrow at five o'clock and I said can I have a script to study sides they said no just show at five so the next day at lunch her and her assistant Irene Mariano they were going to be at, at lunch so I snuck into their office and uh, found a script stole it I went through their desk found the script and I stole the script and took the script and went to my acting coach Jeff Corey and I worked on the scenes and then I went and auditioned at five o'clock and got a call back and anyway I ended up getting it but what I saw about Lucy was not just that she had all the money but and and she was running off with all these men but I she was trying to fill a void her parents weren't there and because I was raised in foster care and and I did never met my father and I my mom was in and out of mental institutions I understood what made Lucy tick. I understood, I knew there was more than just what was written on the page. And there was a vulnerability and, a, and um, Lucy was missing something. And I knew that. So I said, this is my part. I got to get it. And I did. Did Barbara ever find out that you stole the scripts from her office and were? Yeah, you're, yeah, later. You but, got the part, you know, at that point, you just felt something about Lucy. You just felt it like, 
I knew it. I thought I knew her the minute I read the description. Did you know, you know, like Leonard Katzman and like, you know, Barbara Belgettis and Jim Davis, like it and Larry Hagman, like it had names attached to it. Like, did you know when you were auditioning, like, was there a buzz around Dallas? I mean, you love the part and you wanted a job, but like, was there this buzz, like this show could be something big or no, you just were like, this is a great part. And no, it was, it was a six part miniseries. And, um, I remember our first meeting the only one I was really familiar with was Larry Hagman. And I remember him obviously from I Dream of Jeannie. And I used to write letters to him saying, um, did you ever know this lady, Catherine? You could be my father. I don't know. Maybe would you like me to be my father? I don't know. I always wanted, <laughs> he was so handsome and funny and charming on I Dream of Jeannie. And um he never answered, <laughs> but, um, and then getting to know Barbara Belgettis, of course, the, you know, one of the greatest actresses of all time. And she was the original Maggie on Cat on a Hot Tin Roof on stage. And, um, you know, she was amazing. And one time when we were filming the miniseries, I was, we, sh- we were on this really dumpy motel and it was a motel, not a hotel. And, um, I was sitting in her room and it was really the dregs of the dregs that we were, they put us up in and Dallas wasn't a hit. We hadn't even aired yet. So I'm sitting in Barbara's room. She's sitting on the bed. I'm literally sitting at the floor on her, on the floor, listening to her stories in New York and, you know, being a theater actress and her phone rang. And I, I said, let me answer it. So I answered, I go, hello, this is Miss Belgetti's suite. And the voice on the phone said, well, I, I speak to Barbara. I say, who may I say is calling? And he said, well, it's Tennessee. And I screamed. I went, ah. She said, what? Who is it? I said, it's God. It's Tennessee Williams. And she's like, oh, talk to him. I go, no, I can't. I, it was Tennessee Williams calling her on the phone. <laughs> oh, my God. That's that's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Wow. That is crazy. Well, I mean, do you remember? Because, like, right, it was supposed to be like a six part miniseries and then it got picked up and it went like, what was your first memory of like, wait a second, like, this is a big thing? You know, like it was an unknown show at the time. Like, do you have that memory of like when you realized, like, wait, people recognize me? Like, uh, this is a big show. Um, It's hard, right? Like, you know, because it's because it's your life, like that that crossover of like, wait a second, like we're on to something here. I do remember. Um, well, the reviews came in for the miniseries and the reviews were fantastic. And they said, Charlene Tilton has the acting for being such a looker. She has the acting chops. I was so young. I had to say to my friend, what's a looker? What does that mean? And they said, that means you're, you know, you're gorgeous. And I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> um, but I remember one of the first times that the, the miniseries had aired and now we're going to go, we're in Texas filming the, ne- you know, the next, se- the next uh, season. And there, I-, I was in a restaurant and these two young guys 
I could hear them talking. They're like, it's her. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. Go say something. And I could hear all this conversation. And so I'm like, oh gosh, here it comes. They're going to ask me for my autograph. This is my very first autograph. And they said, excuse me, my friend thinks it's you. And I'm saying it's not. Are you? And I go, yeah, I am. Well, is it really you? Can we have your autograph? And I can't go. And they're going, I can't believe it. We're meeting Sally Struthers. And I went, ah. Oh, my God. So, I mean, do you get that a lot? I mean, I, I no, I no, that was only that was the only time. And I said, no, I'm not Sally. I'm Charmaine Tilton on Dallas. And they went, oh, that's even better. We love you. We knew we recognized you. That is funny. See, so they were pleasantly surprised. <laughs> Do you have memories like, you know, who were you closest to on set? Because you were younger than, you know, a lot of the other cast members. You know, we really did become a great family. And because our beginnings were very humble, like I said, there were not... um, Larry Hagman is the one that that brought us all together. He really did. He he's the one that that made sure we got to know each other. Um, he would have get-togethers. He had this big converted bread truck that he had brought. And we would all like go places in that, and we we would hang out and. Um, Jim Davis, who played my grandfather, Jock Ewing, he really took me under his wing um, and I didn't know it. And I was really close to him. And he said, I reminded him of his daughter and um, his daughter had passed away in a car accident at the age of 17. Her name was Tara. And he, because there was a real bond between Jim and his wife and myself, because I was 17. And um, so I spent a lot of time with them at their house and spent the night and I spent a lot of time. And I was, and Larry Hagman was, um, you know, a great father figure to me as well. He was. What about all of us? Because, you know, you heard so many stories in the beginning that, you know, like Larry and Patrick and Linda were so close and you kind of heard all these stories, you know, like Victoria Principal was like the outcast and she just didn't get along with them. Like, did you see that? You know, there was always this tabloid fodder about Victoria and them. No, um, no. And to this day, I mean, I'm clueless, I guess. And if there, I, you know, if there was any friction or whatever, I wasn't brought into it and I wasn't a part of it. And I, I you know, I don't, I don't know that there was, and I, I don't believe there was, I've heard those rumors and I've asked and haven't really gotten any answers. So, you know, I don't think so. I got along fine with Victoria. I really did. So that's all I'm, you know, uh, I don't think it's as bad as the rumors, to be very honest with you. Isn't that usually the case? <laughs> what was she like to work with, Victoria Principal? Um, the times I worked with her, she she was great. One time, um, it was my close-up, and 
she's and I said, I want cheekbones like yours. She goes, oh, here, I'll help you. So she goes and she gets the makeup artist brush. And and there's no mirror. We're just, I'm sitting in my chair on the set. So we're not doing it in front of a mirror. And so she's putting blush on my cheeks. And I get out to go for my close-up. And I walk on the set. And Leonard Katzman, our producer, happens to be directing. And I go to the set. And I take my place and I'm ready. And I see Leonard go like this, just stare at me. And all of a sudden he screams out, Victoria. And she said, yes. She had put deep purple, just to be funny, on my, on my cheeks. So the makeup artist had to go and read. She thought that was funny. But then, so I got that her back. funny. It was, I thought it was funny, but you know, time is money. And the fact that the makeup artist had to go and redo, it, it was not a big deal. It was funny. Um, <laughs> um, one time though, we were filming at a hospital and again, there weren't, there wasn't the makeup trailer with any, so anyway, so Victoria was getting her makeup done sitting on this bench in the, hallway of the hospital so I had gotten all these hospital supplies like tongue depressors and I got the surgical you know the the gloves and I blew them up and like balloons and and I taped in these hospital swabs and cotton things and she had no idea but very carefully I taped them all over her back. So she had these big blown up hand balloons, tongue depressors and cotton swabs. I taped them all over her back. And then I put a sign that said bimbo number nine. I have no idea why I wrote that, but it just said bimbo number nine. And I had all these things. So she's done with makeup. She had no idea that I had completely decorated her back while she was getting made up. I was very, I was like a ninja. And so she gets up, now she's standing and she walks through the crew and she makes a comment and the crew is just busting up laughing. They laugh so hard. And so she, she walks into the ladies room and all of a sudden I hear, Charlene, I'm gonna get you. She said, she said, I told the joke. She goes, I thought, wow, I'm, I'm pretty funny today. I've got it going on. And she said, Thank you. see in the mirror all of a sudden, she knew it was me. So we had fun. That is fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline.
I'm in such a good mood because I just got my new rain jacket, t-shirts, and sweaters in the mail from Tentry. Not only are these products fashion forward, but they're earth friendly. Tentry sells lots of different products, including clothing, underwear, outerwear, activewear, and more. What I love is that not only are these fashion forward, like I said, but everything they make is manufactured ethically and from materials that are either sustainably sourced or recycled. Besides being sustainable, Tentry clothing is so soft and so comfortable. I'm already wearing these t-shirts like all day and all night. Listen, for every item purchased from Tentry, they plant 10 trees. And this helps take carbon out of the air, replenish ecosystems, and it gives jobs to tree planters and communities around the world. Learn more about Tentry's planting mission and to grab some comfy, sustainable clothes, check out their website, www.tentry.com. And because you're listening to this podcast, use code VELVET to get 15% off your first order. That's www.tentree.com. Use code VELVET to get 15% off your first order. Hey guys, there's big news from my favorite home security company. Simply Safe just launched their new wireless outdoor security camera. That's right, Simply Safe, the system that US News and World Report names best home security system of 2021, just got even better. This brand new outdoor security camera is engineered with all the advanced tech and security features you want and need to help keep you and your family safe. I love that it zooms in eight times. This means that you can zoom in and clearly see things like faces and license plates to capture critical evidence. It has a built-in spotlight with color night vision so you can keep an eye on what's going on day and night. To learn more about the exciting new Simply Safe wireless outdoor security camera, visit simplysafe.com/velvetrobe. What's more, Simply Safe is celebrating this new camera by offering 20% off your entire new system and your first month of monitoring service free when you enroll in their interactive monitoring program. Once again, that's simplysafe.com/velvetrobe. With the holidays just around the corner, I have the perfect gift for your loved ones. It hasn't been an easy year or two. We're all not seeing the people we love as much as we used to. This is why Skylight Frame is the perfect gift to give someone you love this holiday season. Skylight Frame is a photo frame you can update instantly by email from anywhere. It sets up effortlessly in under 60 seconds. You literally just plug it in. You use the touchscreen to connect to your wireless network and voila, enjoy. Everyone in the family can just email them to your personal Skylight email address and they'll pop up in seconds. Multiple people can send photos to the frame. So it's a great way to keep large networks of friends and families in touch. And what I love is, which is what I did, you can preload it with your favorite photos for a personalized gift. So you can import pictures of you and all your friends and family, and then you can send it on to the person as the gift. Now as a special offer, you can get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com and enter code VELVET. That's right. To get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame, just go to skylightframe.com and enter code VELVET. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E.com, promo code VELVET. I have to tell you guys about my latest obsession, Operator. Housewives doesn't have anything on Operator. Operator is set in the 90s and it's all about the phone sex industry. In the 90s, phone sex operators worked around the clock to fill fantasies. It all started with an idea from Mike Parties and Michael Self. They built a company called American Telnet 
But it was the women behind the phones who created the close-knit yet dysfunctional family that turned American Telnet into a multi-billion dollar company. They were selling lavish yachts. They were fueling wild drug parties. They were burning through cash by the minute. And the FBI was watching their every move. I told you it reminded me of Housewives. Wondery and Topic Studios' new podcast, which is called Operator. It's the untold story of a company which dominated the phone sex industry until the money blinded them. And it all came crashing down. There's so much intrigue in this podcast. There are so many twists. There are so many turns. I am freaking addicted. You guys need to follow Operator on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or you can listen early and ad-free by subscribing to Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check out betterhelp.com slash velvetrobe. You may not be feeling down and out and depressed or like you're at a total loss, but if your stress level is high, your temper is shorter than usual, or even if you're starting to feel strained in any of your relationships, you could probably use the chance to unload. Talk to someone who's completely unbiased and who's not going to judge you or take sides. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Unload the stressors and get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain for it. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and behind the Velvet Rope listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash velvet rope. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash velvet rope. Betterhelp.com slash velvet rope. What about Linda Gray? What was it like to work with Linda Gray? Um, well, you know, she's just amazing, lovely, sweet lady and uh, an amazing actress and just amazing. Yeah. We love Linda. Well, listen, Lucy had so many stories that I feel like, were you aware that a lot of Lucy's story, a lot of the stories in general in Dallas, like were just ahead of their time. I mean, like, you know, you were kidnapped by the photographer and then raped and then you had an abortion, like that was way ahead of its time you were engaged to a man who turned out to be gay that I mean that that was my favorite storyline when um I uh was in Lucy was engaged to marry Kit Mainwaring who was the son of the other there were the Ewings and the Mainwarings that were the predominant Texas oil families and um he was played by a wonderful actor named Mark Wheeler and it was only three episodes, but Jr. was really excited because it would, you know, sort of marry the two fortunes together. And um, Kit in, ends up having to tell me, we, we become engaged, we have this party and all, all this. And then Kit says, I have to tell you something, Lucy, I love you. And it's because I love you so much. I can't go through with this. I can't marry you because I'm homosexual. And that's not going to change. Back then, they couldn't even use the word gay. And he said, but I'm telling you, JR knows. And he's going to cause trouble. And he's going to out me. And he's going to. And I said, oh, no, I'll put JR in his place. He won't do that. The writers handled it 
so beautifully. And the, and the fact that Lucy stood up to JR and said, you're not going to cause any trouble for Kit. Um, you're not bringing this out into the public. And it was just so ahead of its time and brilliantly done. Um, you know, they showed the, 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 the bravery of Kit coming out of the closet. They showed Lucy having compassion and letting him come out to the world at his time, not anybody else's time. It was so, you know, eons, uh, you know, uh, it was before the AIDS crisis, before anything. So it was, yeah, it, that's my favorite storyline. And then when Lucy was pregnant, you know, after a rape and wanted an abortion, and I was I was pregnant with my daughter Cherish at the time. So I'm doing all these scenes with dialogue saying, I have to have an abortion. I can't have this baby. You know, and every time I look at that baby, it'll remind me that I was raped and I don't want this child. And I'm having to say all this stuff when I'm actually pregnant. And I don't want any of that psychologically, emotionally to go to my beautiful baby that I'm carrying. So before every take, I would say, okay, mommy is what you call an actress. I don't mean these words. I love you. I want you. And I never really let myself get as emotionally invested into that storyline about the abortion, just because I was pregnant and I didn't want, I didn't want to fully emotionally go there carrying my child. So Interesting. So as an actress, you're able to just kind of like channel those emotions and kind of go there, but not fully. I, yeah. I mean, I didn't go as deep as I, you know, normally, you know, as an actor, you're going to let it go through you and you're going to, it's, it's going to be just when you're living in the moment, it's going to be really real. And it, and I just, just couldn't do it. I, I just chose not to do it. So. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Were there any storylines that you feel like kind of jumped the shark with Lucy where you were just like, come on guys, this is so preposterous or far-fetched. And like, I just don't see this. No, I, I, Lucy was addicted to pills. That was kind of fun. Um, There was one scene where Lucy was addicted to pills and I, she was so high and Sue Ellen was pregnant and drunk and I'm at the bottom of the stairs and Sue Ellen is drunk and pregnant and is walking down the stairs and trips and falls and lands at my feet. And I'm so high. I'm just like, oh, Sue Ellen, you, oh, you went, boom, you fell. And I'm like, I'm too high to help her. <laughs> I love that scene. That, that was just like so crazy. Um, it, you know, as Lucy got older and when they sent her off to get remarried to Mitch and then Lucy moved off to Europe and had an art gallery, I went, eh, whatever, you know. Do you like the pill popping Lucy a little better? Oh, yeah. I mean. Well, Lucy, I mean. Lucy's I and one of the things too that they they really never addressed lucy was given a big chunk of ewing oil so 
I, you know, Lucy was a multimillionaire in her own right and could have done a lot with that too. But anyway. Did you always wish like Lucy kind of got, you know, walked in one day to Ewing Oil and was like, there's my office, JR and Bobby? <laughs> oh my gosh, that would have been fun. Um, you know, just uh, the show ran its course and then different people left, different people came in and, and um, you know, I, I know that after Bobby came back from the shower, that's when people say that it jumped the shark. I wasn't there that season and I was kind of separated from all that. So I, you know, I really didn't. I kind I of loved that and didn't, but I mean, I kind of loved it in a way. I was like, okay, well, this is Dallas. I mean, this is just, let's go with this now. Whatever, yeah. I think one of Lu I think one of the, for me the most iconic scenes of Lucy's is that beginning scene like that's what sticks out like where she's up in the loft with like Ray who she doesn't know is her cousin and like that even that's before it's time as far as like racy and you know you were young and apparently you know young in the show and right oh my gosh I mean what an introduction for a character and for me just to turn upside down with my hair just going and giggling and and here I am with the ranch foreman uh not of legal age by the way I mean you I, you can't even you couldn't do that now on television I don't think and um and then I am saying dialogue to him when we're up in the hayloft because he used to date Pam Ewing you know Bobby's wife a long time ago and I say Ray, call me her name. Come on, Ray, do it. Call me Pam. Do and he's like, no, I go, come on. And, you know, I'm trying to be out. I am not even kidding you. It wasn't until years later. I didn't even know what the hell I was doing. I'm like, I, I, you know, I watched it like years later. I'm like, oh my God, that is like kinky stuff that I was doing. I'm over my head. I had no idea. I had no idea. Uh, really? I, no, I had no idea. It was so freezing cold. We were in like sub-zero weather. I was freezing cold. I was in little jeans and a little top. I was just trying to be able to keep my teeth from chattering. I didn't, I had no idea like how sexy that was. It was like sexy and kinky and like also I think just set up Lucy as like this girl is A, a troublemaker and B is trouble. Like it's like it's like everything at once, right? Everything at once. It was the best. I love when Lucy was trouble. Yes. And then when you find out this is actually your cousin, you're like, this is and it's like this is just so sick and amazing at the same time on so many levels. Like you just that was Dallas. You just couldn't get enough. You know, they ignored, they just sort of swept that under the carpet when they found, when it turned out that Ray was actually my uncle, that he, he, he was my uh, yeah, uncle. uncle. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uncle, yes. Well, one of the highlights, of course, of Dallas also was who shot JR. I mean, 80 million people are watching. We don't have numbers anywhere near that in today's. I think it was more than that, to tell you the truth. I, I, I do. You might know better than so. I yeah. I thought it was like 80 or like a hundred million something, but it, it could have been more. I thought it was 80, something like around that number, but it was a, a ridiculous number. 
Do you remember that? Because I mean, that was cover of Time Magazine and like that took over the world. You know, that like basically set up Dallas as a cliffhanger. I mean, it had cliffhangers before, but to me that changed the game of like nighttime soap TV and this is what a cliffhanger really is, people. It was, I mean, it was a worldwide phenomenon. Um, Patrick Duffy had pointed this out to me and I didn't even realize it, that you know, sometimes a television series will start here and then roll out into different countries. Um, our show actually kind of went throughout the world through 190 countries all at simultaneously. So when we found out who shot JR, the rest of the world found out. So it was a global phenomenon. And I don't know that you could keep a secret like that today worldwide. I mean, I, I just don't know that you could. Um, so it was huge. And um, we had a big, we had a cast party at Chasen's restaurant in Beverly Hills. And I remember driving there and it was like an apocalypse. Every street in Los Angeles, there was not a car to be seen. It was eerie because everyone was in their homes getting ready to watch who shot JR. And it was, it was crazy. So we had the best time at Chasen's. We watched the episode together and um, Barbara Belgetti's and myself and Phil Capiche, who was um, one of our producers, we were the last three to leave. Wow. Do you remember, I mean, was your phone like that summer, like were people, you know, people you haven't talked to in forever or people just, cause that was the thing. Like people wanted to know, you know, like did people come out of the woodworks to you? Like, come on, Charlene, you're like on the show. Tell us. Absolutely. You know, and, and worldwide interviewers and people, and I genuinely didn't know. And they, um, they, they filmed a real, you know, with different people shooting him. And, and I didn't even know what was going on. I was getting ready for another scene and, and Irving Moore, the director said, uh, come here, here, hold this gun and just say, take that, that, and that you schmuck. And I go, what is this for? He goes, just do it. Just say, take that, that, and that you schmuck. And I went, I wish you would have told me what it was. I would have thought of something more funny, but when I found out what it was, I'm like, yeah, Lucy didn't do it because Lucy would never use the word schmuck. And <laughs> and say, take that and that and that, you schmuck, to shoot JR. So I knew Lucy didn't, was not the perpetrator that, was know. Was there like a, I mean, did you guys talk about that amongst yourselves? Like you and like, and did Larry know or no one knew even Larry Hagman? And did you guys all talk, you know, like, oh, I think it's Sue Ellen. I think it's Kristen. I think it's like, did you, or you guys are like, all right, just let's move on in life and we're actors and we'll be back next season and let's not think about this. Well, no. Linda Gray does tell the story that um, she had to fill, she had to tape a voiceover, say it was you, it was you, Kristen. So she knew, and apparently she kept it a secret. So I guess if anybody has a secret, you could always tell Linda Gray, she'll never tell anybody. Seriously. What was it like working with Larry Hagman? I mean, did you... I mean, this character is so, I mean, the show is so brilliant, but like, he was just like, did you realize what an iconic just character? I mean, forget about the show for a minute, like JR is and just, 
I mean, we still, you can say to anyone who shot JR and that's it. You don't have to say anything else. That yeah. sentence dates in time. Like it still stands true today. Like, did you realize how brilliant Larry was when you were working with him? You know, it's interesting because with the, with, since the pandemic started, um, Dallas is on Amazon Prime. So it's gotten a whole new resurgence of people that were my age when I started the show. They're, you know, like 17 and whatever, discovering it for the first time or people rediscovering it. And I said, you know, maybe I should like try to watch this again. Maybe I haven't, first of all, I've never seen every episode to be honest. And I said, well, I, I'm going to put it on, you know, Amazon Prime and I'm, I'm going to watch some of this. So I was babysitting my grandsons. My daughter walks in and my little grandsons are asleep. She walks in and I'm watching Dallas. She goes, mom, what the heck are you watching? I go, Dallas. She goes, why? I go, I don't know. I go, I just wanted to watch it. I haven't seen it in forever. And I haven't even seen all the episodes. And I mean, it really was a scene out of Sunset Boulevard. I could have had a martini and a cigarette. I go, look at me in a bathing suit when I used to be young and cute. You know, it really looked, it was kind of pathetic on one hand, but watching it, I'm watching this. And I have to tell you, Larry Hagman was probably one of the most brilliant actors ever. You would have think I would have known that while working with him, but as I'm watching it and all these years have passed, first of all, everybody was amazing on the show. The show still holds up. It was brilliant. I'm watching it going, damn, this is good. I can understand why it was the phenomenon it was. Larry was a masterclass. Just the things he did were unbelievable and um yeah he was amazing yeah he really was i mean i would imagine so many people would come up to him and just literally they you know you, people blend those lines anyway but people probably just really thought he was jr i mean he was so good at it like just yeah. inhabiting and he that loved it, loved it. He loved meeting people and he loved it. He he loved every minute of it. He did. I mean, that's what I've heard. Yeah. But the whole, I mean, did you watch the whole thing when you discovered it again on Amazon with your cigarette and your martini and your, <laughs> did you watch like every episode, even when you were not on the show? No, I, I think I'm only up to season three. I'm not, I haven't sat there and like binged it. If I, you know, I'll, I'll watch a little bit of it then go do something else but I so I haven't no keep going keep going I know I have to keep going it's so have you heard from people like you know this new generation do you hear from like a lot of the young people like you said that were your age that reach out really yes that's what that's what made me say maybe I should rewatch. maybe I should watch this and put because I was getting tons of mail and tons of uh from all over the world people discovering it for the first time or people re-watching it again. And it was just, you know, so. Wow. I mean, that shows you right there, like it withholds the test of time. Not that I would have ever doubted that. 
Well, you left in season eight in 1985. Like what was, I mean, how did that come about? Like, was that like a mutual decision? Like, did you want to pursue other things or they decided like, okay, we're going to take a break from Lucy at this point. We're about to get into all the reasons why Charlene left Dallas and her subsequent return. All of this and more in part two, coming soon. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review. Because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones. And the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're Behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon, because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.